doesn't just see the actions. He doesn't just see what happens. He takes and he knows. He knows what's going on. That's one of the reasons I don't really get too worried about conspiracy theories. is because they can conspire all they want, but they can't do anything until God lets them. Amen. God sees all this. God knows what's going on. And so, if you will, he's still on the throne. He sees what's going on. And then he uses what he sees for a purpose. Verses 5 through 7, he teaches us that. And in verse 5, look at the first part of this. Now, I'm going to give you a fancy word here, okay? But a lot of times in the Psalms, the writings of Paul, different places in the Bible, he uses what are called chiasms, okay? Which means he introduces a subject, he develops it, and then he brings it back to the same subject, okay? You can see it. The re- that's the reason I want you to see that I'm going to talk about verse 5, the beginning, and then verse 7. And then I'm going to talk about the second half of verse 5 and verse 6 as two, I'm using them to establish two different points. You think, well, it should be four points. No, no, he's, he's just reestablishing two points, okay? And you'll see what I mean here when I, when I talk to you about this. Look at what it says in verse 5, the first part. It says this, it says, the Lord trieth the righteous. Amen. The Lord trieth the righteous. I'll tell you what that means here in a second, okay? But if you will, look at verse 7. And then in verse 7, he says this. He says, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Meaning his face can see the uprightness of your heart. I I will promise you this. One of the biggest questions in the Bible is why do righteous suffer, okay? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. That would be another message for another day, okay? But notice this. His, his, the Bible says he does this in verse 5. He says to prove his own, okay? Meaning what? Why does God allow for all this wickedness and all these things that we don't understand sometimes? It's because he's trying to prove us. He's trying to, if you will, test us. God has a purpose for every trial. Does God have a purpose for every trial? Okay. Well, think about this. If God has a purpose for every trial, then we need to remember, it sounds silly to say this, God has a purpose for every trial. Amen. And so anytime that you're getting ready to run, anytime your your faith is getting shaken, remember, God has a purpose for every trial. Well, what are those purposes? Well, let's just look at them real quick. Go to James chapter 1. Keep yourself here in uh, Psalms because we're going to come back. But James chapter 1, some of these are no doubt verses that you've memorized. But James chapter 1 and verse 2, can you all say this with me? My brethren, say the next part, count it all joy, okay? Count it all joy when you falleth into diverse temptations, meaning when you happen into different kind of trials, okay? He's not acting like these all happen by accident, but he says when you come to a trial, okay, count it all joy. Why? Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh. Can somebody help me with what the word worketh mean? Think about it. Accomplishes or produces. You guys understand that? So when he says this, he says, when your faith is tried, it produces, in a sense, patience. Any of y'all need patience? I said, any of y'all need patience? (laughs) Any of y'all need patience? I will promise you this, we all need patience. And to be quite honest with you, have you noticed how the lessons are constantly being taught about patience? Have you ever noticed that? I know I noticed it in my own life. But I was so, but let patience have her perfect work, meaning let it 
let get the full lesson. Don't just get part of the lesson, okay? The Bible says, but let patience have her perfect worth, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. Let him ask uh, nothing wavering, okay? The whole point is this, is why does God put us through trials? It's so that he can advance our faith. It's going to produce, it's going to produce, it's going to grow, it's going to mature. Amen. And, and so, if you will, God has a purpose for every trial. Any of y'all like trials? No. But they have a purpose. They advance our faith. They prepare us for the ministry. The Bible tells us this, that if you'll allow God, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this, if you will allow God to comfort you in all your trials, then you will be able to help others going through the same trial with the comfort wherewith you've been comforted of God. Y'all understand that? And so meaning this, if you'll go through your trial, God has a purpose for it, and then you can be used to comfort other people. Praise the Lord, okay? And I will tell you this, none of us want to go through those trials so we can help somebody else, but how many of y'all have been thankful for somebody who's gone through it and been able to help you? Okay? And so if you will, uh, uh, God, he sees us and he says, I need to advance their faith, and I need to prepare them for the ministry, and then I need to discipline them as a loving father. You ever, any of y'all ever go to Walmart? Are any of y'all too tired to know where Walmart is? You guys tired tonight? Yeah, help me for a second here. You guys know Walmart? So isn't your favorite thing some screaming baby in somebody's cart? Uh, every day. <laughs> It's getting real quiet here. How many of y'all want to help the parent every once in a while? I can make that stop. kid stop screaming. Oh, it's going to get real quiet here at Liberty Baptist Church here today. Can I just tell you this? It's an act of love to discipline a child. Y'all with me? As a matter of fact, the Bible describes that to us in the book of Hebrews. And, and if you will, go with me. I want you to see this. Go to the book of Hebrews. Just a page back from where you were here, probably. We go to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse 8. The Bible says, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Folks, he's saying this. He says, You're, you're not even a le legitimate child if God doesn't discipline you. Okay? Verse 9, furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastised, chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, why does God chasten us? Say it with me. For our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. You see, God is saying this. I'm going to put you through so that you can be different like me. Okay. Not different like the world, but different like God. A lot of times you see people trying to look different or trying to be different, but they're just trying to be different. Can I just say this? God wants us to be different like him. Amen? To be holy. holy that's what holiness is. Okay? And so what do we need to remember when it comes to broken down foundations? Well, God is on the throne. God sees what's going on. And God uses this to prove his own. Okay? Okay? And by the way, he loves to see us pass the test. Literally, how many of y'all think God loves to see us pass the test? Okay. I don't know about you. I like seeing when my kids get an A on their paper. 
I like seeing when they get special recognition of some kind. I like seeing it. Why? Because they're my kids. You don't understand that? Well, think about this. <coughs> go to verse 7. I'll show it to you. Go back, go, go back to our text. Psalm 11 and verse 7. The Bible says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. There was a man named Stephen in the book of Acts chapter 7. You remember this? They, they were going to martyr him. They were getting ready to stone him to death. And as they were stoning him to death, in Acts chapter 7, he said this. Being, the Bible says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he said this. I see the Son of God, Son of Man, I see the Son of God standing on the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Meaning what? Think about this. As he was being martyred, is that a trial? Bible says Jesus was standing up to behold what was going on. And folks, as, as much as anything, it might be metaphorical, but the whole point was he was saying, there is my faithful servant. Amen. And he stood up to pay attention. What was his name who went through that? Stephen. Anybody know what the word Stephen means in the Bible? It's the word, comes from the word Stephanos. And do you know Stephen? means the crowned one. The Bible tells us it's a victor's crown, by the way. It's not a crown, it's like, in a sense, that your wages. It's a crown in a sense of reward. Hey, you won. You won. Amen? And that's exactly what the Bible talks about when he talks about we're going to receive a crown. Why? Because God says, I put you through the test, and you passed the test. Amen? And he rewards us with a Stephanos crown. Amen? It's a beautiful picture. It's a wonderful picture. Okay. And so we see, if you will, God proves his own. And by the way, God is going to reward his own. But he's going to punish the wicked. Go back to our text where you're here. Look at verse 5 now, the second half. In chapter 11, verse 5, the Bible says, and, he, and it says, But the wicked and him that loveth violence, notice what the Bible says about that, his soul hateth. The Bible says this, that God, God is angry with sinners every day. God hates what's going on. How many of y'all know that, amen? But how many of you also realize such were some of you, some of you? Aren't you glad for God's patience? Yeah, praise the Lord, amen. But I will tell you this, he's angry with sinners every day. And so he's going to prove his own with the difficulties that come from broken foundations. But he's going to punish the wicked because of them breaking the foundations. Notice what the Bible says in verse uh, 6. He says, upon the wicked he shall rain snares. What's another word for a snare? A trap. What happens to a trap, folks? Think about this. What do you call somebody caught in a trap? There's actually a word. You're a victim. You guys understand when you get caught in a trap, you're a victim. Meaning this, that whenever you take and you fall for the enticements and you put your foot or whatever into the trap and you're ensnared. Can I just say this? The devil laughs, but if you will, God says this, if they don't like to retain God in their knowledge, then I'm going to give them over to a reprobate mind, a brain that doesn't work. Amen. And they're going to fall into all kinds of diverse lusts. Amen. And if you will, every single one of them is a trap from the devil. Amen. Can cigarettes make you happy? Come on, come, well, I'm going to just tell you this. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. 
And, and people might think that's okay, but, but let me just tell you, it's not. It's a trap. People die from it every day. By the way, what are people dying from today more than anything else? Young people. What are young people dying from more than else? Anything else right now? Not vaping. It's a good guess. Suicide. It's not suicide. Suicide's number two. Pardon me? <laughs> that might be another sermon. I don't know. One last chance. Fentanyl. It was just put out as a statistic, and I'm sure it all depends on the age group, but they said young people today, the number one killer of young people today is fentanyl. Folks, what is fentanyl designed to do for the person taking it? It relieves pain. And so they say, if I take this, I will relieve pain. And it's causing more people than anybody else to die. And if they die without Christ, where do they go? They go to hell. And what do people do in hell? The Bible says that they nod their tongue. Why would a person nod their tongue? Huh? Yeah, they're trying to distract themselves from another pain by creating a pain. And folks, they fall for the trap. You want all your pain to go away? Come on. You, you want to take and have this or have that? Come on, take it. And then as soon as they, okay. And please take this the right way. God doesn't get joy, but God says this. If you don't like to retain me in your knowledge, amen, you are going to fall for one of the devil's traps. Amen. And you're going to get the complete opposite of what you had hoped for. What is a fox looking for when he gets his foot stuck in a trap, folks? He's looking for a meal, and he becomes a meal. Come on now. Y'all see it? And, and so if you will, we see that he punishes the wicked by allowing them to fall into their traps. He sends them fire and brimstone. See what it says next in our verse? The Bible says, upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone. Well, folks, I, I, won't, I won't take and develop this too much, but when is fire and brimstone spoken of in the Bible? Sodom and Gomorrah, okay. By the way, was that a judgment against sin? Absolutely it was, okay. Uh, can I show you another place? It's probably not going to get this one right off. Go to uh, Isaiah chapter 30 and look at verse 33. By the way, uh, that's Genesis 19.24, Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah 30, Isaiah 30, and then verse 33, the Bible says, For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large, a pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Interesting. <coughs> Interesting. Anybody know what Tophet is? Anybody know what Tophet is? This is why whenever I teach you guys to study your Bible about context, sometimes you have to do a geographical context because Tophet is a place, okay? And Tophet has many different names, one of which is the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. How many of you all know what the Valley of the Son of Hinnom represents? Matter of fact, they made another word for it out of the Greek, and they called it a place called Gehenna. And it became, if you will, if, if you became 
the word for hell in the New Testament. Where the worm dieth not, where the flame doesn't go out, where it burns night and day. By the way, read that. It was the valley of the son of Hinnom. That was the place where Manasseh had sacrificed his son, okay, his, his son to, the, to, to these God, excuse me, the God Molech. And if you will, when it talks about he made it deep and he filled it with wood and it started with fire because it was a place that never stopped burning. And part of the reason was it became the city dump. It became the city dump. People would throw their trash out there and would just keep burning. How many of y'all have ever been to a dump? I gotta really ask, how many young people have ever been to a dump? Okay, we have one here, a couple here. Okay, okay, what is, help me, Jimmy, what's a dump? It's where you take all the garbage and useless junk. It's a wonderful place to go sightseeing, isn't it? There's beautiful birds, and there's a wafting aroma of trash that is rotten and smelly. By the way, think about it rotten and smelly and on fire. Okay. Fire and what's it called? Brimstone. What is brimstone, by the way, guys? Burning sulfur. Is burning sulfur smell good? No, we don't have enough chemistry people here to know the joke of throwing the sulfur down the sink so when they pour the acid out, the whole place smells <laughs> like rotten eggs. Y'all understand? If you will, he says this. He says, I'm going to punish them. Where am I going to punish them? Well, I'm going to punish them like Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to punish them like in the valley of the son of Hinnom, the picture of hell. Amen. He says, I'm going to punish them just like I will for Antichrist, because that's the other place where it's spoken of. Go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38. And just for sake of time, I'll just read one verse. But Ezekiel 38. Look at verse 22. If you want to read the context, it's from 18 to 23. And it's talking about the king of Tyre, which is a type of Satan, okay? And you say, well, I'm not sure it's Satan. You will if you read. Look at uh, verse uh, 19. The Bible says, uh, uh, am I reading right here? Uh, oh, I misspoke there. This is, uh, this is the battle of Gog and Magog. Okay, and by the way, Gog is just another name for Antichrist. You all with me? Okay, and so this is Antichrist, and what's he going to do to Antichrist? Well, he's going to de defeat him, amen. And in verse 22, it says, And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands, that's his army, and upon the many people that are with him, that's his followers. And the Bible says this, it says, And upon... Uh, uh, as many people that are with him with an overflowing rain and great hailstones, say it with me, fire in brimstone. God doesn't make any mistakes. He used fire and brimstone with Sodom and Gomorrah. He made, okay, the valley son of Hinnom like that. Antichrist is going to be defeated. By the way, just for sake of time, it's also a picture of Christ's return. When he returns, he's going he's gonna to send fire and brimstone. And Armageddon is spoken of twice in the book of Revelation uh, as, as gonna, he's going to come down with fire and brimstone. Amen. Is that the last we hear of fire and brimstone in the Bible? No, there's still one more, and I think you all know it. Amen. Go, if you will, to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And look at verse uh, 20. Revelation 19, verse 20. 
The Bible says, and the beast was taken. By the way, is the beast another name for Antichrist? Okay. The Bible says, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which with he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped the image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, say it with me, burning with brimstone. So fire and brimstone right there. If you will, it's the lake of fire. The Bible says in, uh, in chapter 20 and verse 10 that Satan is going to be cast there. And then in chapter 21 and verse 8, the Bible says that the great white throne judgment, all those whose names are not written in the book of life, are going to be cast into that lake of fire that burns with brimstone. And folks, i got to tell you something. We need to remember God is still on the throne. He sees what's going on. And he uses all that's going on to either to prove his followers or to warn those who rebel against them. You might want to remember, I punish those who take and destroy. By the way, who was the first, what was the first foundation that was destroyed and who did it? Think about it. Genesis chapter 3. Come on. What was the first foundation that was destroyed? Folks, it was the word of God. You remember when Satan came in Genesis chapter 3 and he said, Yea, hath God said that you should not eat from every tree of the garden? Amen? And by the way, all he did to destroy the foundation was to question the word of God. Folks, do we have the word of God today? Now, folks, I don't think anybody ought to have blind faith. But can I say that? You ought to have reasonable faith. Amen? And you ought to be convinced that this is the word of God. You know what that means? You shouldn't question it. You should faithfully read it and try to understand it. Don't read your understanding into it because that's what the devil did. And what did it do? It shook the foundations and it led to the fall of men. And so you see, if you will, that the devil from the beginning, and by the way, who's going to get it the worst in, in, in the lake of fire? The devil is, amen? Because he took and he destroyed the foundations. And so those are the things that we need to remember. Now let's talk about, if you will, the strategies that we need to remember. Go back to our text in Psalm chapter 11 and look at uh, the second half of verse 1 and verse 2, okay? And the Bible says this, it says, uh, How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, and they make ready their arrow upon the string, for they may, uh, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. Well, I want you to know a couple things about our enemy. Amen? Do we have an enemy? What's his name? Satan, adversary, enemy, okay? And so Satan. And so we have an enemy. And verse 2 tells us the enemy is cunning. Literally, they shall attack privily. That word privily means literally with obscurity. It's actually a two-word word, okay? And so it means with obscurity, meaning this, if you will, like this. This is how he attacks, okay? All right? And so he's hiding out, he's, he's staying in the darkness, he's, he's staying where you can't see him, okay? And so he attacks with obscurity. Now, I, I think about this, why did Satan deceive Eve as a serpent? Well, um, there's a couple of reasons, okay? First off, he must have been a very beautiful creature, beautiful creature, okay? But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 that the serpent was more subtle, than any other beast of the field. Now, I don't understand what that means, to be quite honest with you. I, can you imagine what the serpent looked like before? How many of y'all know what a serpent looks like now? Do we know why serpents look like that? We'll just read the rest of chapter 3. 
Okay, I think it's verses 14 and 15. He says, you're going to walk on the belt. You're going to walk on your belly. And you're going to eat dust. Amen. And anybody here know what you got to do with snakes now? Huh? <laughs> Don't kill all of them. What, what do you, listen, you got to watch out for them, right? Why? Because they hide in wait and the poisonous ones, come on now, amen? Listen, I'm all for a snake if he wants to eat any mouse in my house, amen? Actually, I kind of like him to get the mouse before he gets in my house, if, you're, if I'm honest about it, okay? Y'all with me? But if you will, the Bible says that he's subtle, he's cunning, and please take this the right way. A lot of times people don't see him when he's coming. I use this illustration all the time, but uh, and it's going to be lost on most of you. But when I got out of college, excuse me, when I got out of high school, the best basketball player in the nation was a man named Lynn Bias. Okay, Lynn Bias was going to be an amazing basketball player. He was a LeBron James type talent. Okay, and uh, he got <laughs> drafted. Uh, he was drafted by the Boston Celtics. I was a Boston Celtic fan at the time. And, Man, I was so looking forward to him and Larry Bird winning some championships together. And the night he got drafted, he went out and celebrated, and he tried cocaine for the first time in his life. One time. Had a heart attack and died. Well, it's just one time. But I just tell you this, the devil's cunning. And he's subtle. And he hides. And we need to watch out for him. Can I tell you this? Do not ever <coughs> underestimate the enemy today. And you will not see him coming until it's too late. You will have been struck. That's why it's important for us to take and, and to listen to our elders and to listen to the word of God and to listen to the warnings of the Holy Spirit. I got to ask you, any Christians here tonight? Any of y'all believe in the Holy Spirit? Any of y'all ever had a sense from the Lord something wasn't right? And you didn't know what it was, but you knew you should avoid a certain thing. Come on now. And let me just tell you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you're none of his. And I'm not trying, I'm not trying to scare anybody here, but I'm telling you, there have been times in my life when I got ready to do something, and I didn't know what was wrong with it. But I knew God was warning me. Okay? Anybody know how to look out for uh, copper, copper heads? Anybody knows? How do you get, how do you watch out for? Yeah, but what if they're hiding? I've always been told that they smell. What do they smell like? Somebody tell me. Somebody's told me. Do you know? Is that is that a fact? <coughs> I, I, all I know is this: if I ever get close enough to a copperhead to smell it, I'm already in trouble. That's <laughs> 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 yeah, my point. Okay. Meaning what? Man, I'm looking for them copperheads. I, listen, I'm not afraid of a non-poisonous snake, but the poisonous ones earned my respect. Amen? And, and so my whole point is this, is listen, he is cunning. He will attack just like a serpent. And God says Satan was that serpent in that garden. Amen? And so if you will, don't forget that he's cunning. Can I also tell you this? He's a coward. Look what the Bible says in verse 2. How does he, how does he attack? How does he attack? Look what it says in verse 2. What weapon is he using? He's using a bow and an arrow. And notice the other thing he's doing. 
Now, listen, I'm not calling all us because I, I am one. I am, I am a uh, bow hunter, okay? But let me just tell you something. Them deer are smart enough that if you go out there and just calms around, you're not going to get a deer. Y'all understand that? Well, please take this the right way. That's why you put on your camouflage. That's why you climb up in a tree. That's why you cover your scent. And to be quite honest with you, it's really not fair unless you give the deer guns to you. <laughs> Truth? Listen, I'm a deer hunter. I, I mean, I enjoy, okay? But I'm just telling you, that's how the devil hunts. He's hiding. He's got a bow and an arrow. And folks, if you want to take and fight like a man, let's go outside. Face it up. Okay? That's not how the devil fights. You guys understand that? He is a coward. And what is he trying to get you to do? He is trying to get you to flee. He's trying to get you to run. Amen. Why? Because he's a coward. <laughs> uh, anybody know why you make an army run? Why? Because they're easier to shoot in the back. <coughs> and by the way, in ancient warfare, when this was written, more people died running than facing the enemy. More people died running than facing the enemy. Why? Because all their protection and all of their alertness is forward, not running. Okay? And so the devil, a coward, is trying to get us to be a coward and turn tail and run. Does it take guts to be a Christian sometimes? <coughs> I want you a little secret. It takes guts to be a Christian all the time. All the time. It takes courage. Amen? The enemy is a coward. Okay? Uh, by the way, uh, we're going to, can I have a little fun here? Can you help me build it? You can just stay right there. But uh, we're going to have a championship between the Bradshaws and the Fowlers. <laughs> All right? So. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Y'all believe that? The Bible says that they would flee as a what? Look at verse 1. They would flee as a what? Aren't you all afraid of birds? Huh? Anybody got a dog? The first thing they do is when they run outside, they go chase a bird. Right? Birds fly, won't they? Anybody here been attacked by a bird? But they'll usually, as long as you, right? We have birds all over our front porch because we feed them. As soon as you open that door, okay? But you know, there's a couple times birds don't run. We don't have enough golfers in here to be spiritual enough to understand this illustration. I'm joking with you. 
Anybody ever seen a goose? A goose sitting on a nest is scary to death. Because you get close to that nest, and that, that goose will hiss at you and whatever they do. And you might think you're a big old man until you've got a goose coming at you. <laughs> but what's it doing? It's protecting its nest. Please take this the right way. I don't care if you're a man, woman, or a child. But if you see somebody attacking something you love, I tell you another time that the birds will scare you to death. I, I was in a, I was in a Gulfport, Mississippi. I didn't have anything to do. I was just walking on the beach, looking at the birds, looking at the waves. It's a wonderful thing. Until you walk in the middle of a tern nesting site. And terns are birds about that big. They're not all that big. But remember what I said about going to the nesting site? They don't attack you as a bird. They attack you as a flock of birds. And I, I'm a big strong man, if you know the uh, <coughs> we all agree I'm a big strong man. <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> yeah, one of my better moments. <laughs> Amen. Can I tell you this, folks? One of the biggest problems we have with Christianity today is we are so divided at swatting all those flies that we forget they're attacking our foundation. Our kids, come on. And folks, we got to learn how to stand together so that we can stand against the devil. Amen. The things to remember, the strategies to remember, and then the confession to remember. Go back to verse 1. In verse 1, he says, in the Lord put I my <coughs> Well, folks, the Lord was his anchor. The Lord was his foundation. What besides the Lord is our anchor, our foundation? I, I, I contend that the word of God ought to be a foundation to us. Amen? Can I tell you this? This is still a good answer. Show it to me in the book. Come on. Show it to me in the book. If it's in here, I'll follow it. If you faithfully translate it, I'll do it. Amen? If it's in the book, because that's a foundation. Amen? And so if you will, the word of God, how about the ways of God? I think you can read how God does things and just learn, hey, I want to be like God. As a matter of fact, he talked about putting us through trials so we'd be more like him. Amen? So the word of God, the ways of God, and please take this. The house of God. The Bible says forsake not the assembling, folks. I'm going to ask a question, and you, you, you answer for yourself. Have you ever been in the house of God, but not in the house of God? Folks, we don't attend just to show up. We attend because we need what the house of God is. We need fellowship. We need teaching. Come on. Because it 
keeps us rooted in Christ, which is the one I will put my trust in. Amen. And I'm going to fight for the foundation of his word. That's why that we continually preach about the King James Bible. There's a reason for it. That's why we stand for the local church. That's the reason we do missions the way that we do. Why? Because that's the only model we can see. Amen. And so if you will. You know, I want you to think about this. Saul couldn't make him flee. And I believe that's the context. Saul couldn't make him flee. And yet all you got to do is read 1 Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel 19 that realize he had that javelin thrown at him at least twice. <laughs> Meaning what? As long as God wants me here playing and singing for the king, I'm not going to run. Now, did he have to flee from... Listen, don't be stupid. Y'all understand? But he kept showing up for work. He kept showing up for work. He kept showing up for work. Folks, we're going to, weeks ahead, hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to take and look at some things that are foundational to our faith. And hopefully we'll see the importance in them. We'll embrace them. We won't take them as trivia. Uh, we know that sometimes people are going to disagree with us, but that's all right. Just show them the book. Amen. Just show them the book. You know, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? When they rebuilt the temple, folks, what was the first thing they rebuilt? Well, Ezra chapter 3 will tell you the first thing they rebuilt was the foundation. Folks, get a good foundation and then the structure will stand. You know, we used to sing that song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Why? Because the, the rains came down, the floods came up, right? And when you got a good foundation, your ha house stands sure. Folks, let's pursue strong, strong foundations for our life. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We just pray that you'd help us to understand it, meditate on it, apply it, and Father, help us not to be shaken in a time where the devil's doing all he can.